beautiful soul. Welcome to my podcast or my YouTube channel. I'm your host and guide, Will Caminata, and I'm here to help you awaken, heal, and expand your consciousness. And today, it's a conversation episode. I had the pleasure to talk to Sarah Elcaldi, mostly known as the Alchemist. Sarah is a mystic, spiritual teacher, and author, and she's widely known as a leader in the field of spirituality and the esoteric arts. She uses her intuitive abilities as well as her extensive background in esoteric knowledge to help humanity gracefully tap into our evolutionary potential. And I got to know Sarah through Instagram and then I migrated to her YouTube channel and she talks about multidimensionality, the evolution of consciousness, higher dimensional guidance, several themes that you might be familiar if you've been following me here on, on the podcast or my, on my YouTube channel. And so what we did in this conversation, I picked some themes that uh, she talks about in her YouTube channel and we just went with the flow and it was a great conversation we talked about the fifth dimension of consciousness the fourth dimension of consciousness soul contracts twin flames so tune in stick around i think you will enjoy this conversation very much and if this brings value please share this episode with one of your friends who will also benefit from watching it enjoy the show hello sarah thank you so much for being here on the podcast Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm excited to talk to you about the themes that you bring up in your YouTube channel. That's how I met you. I found you on Instagram. Then I migrated to your YouTube channel and I love the themes and I love the way you express and you're very eloquent as well in the way that you explain these concepts that can be sometimes a little confusing right um so i'd love to uh propose a game i'll just pick some random topics from the cards i selected some of the themes from your youtube channel and then we'll just talk about it and let the universe decide what the viewers or the listeners should be listening to That's i love this format this is just so cool Great. I'm glad you like it. It's the first time I'm doing it. So I'm excited. Just before we start playing, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your background, perhaps your spiritual awakening and how you got to be where you are today. And, uh, the, you know, you're known as the alchemist in on YouTube and Instagram. Um, tell us a little bit about your story so my spiritual awakening, probably like many will be able to relate, was a mess. It was such a mess. And for somebody like myself who really needs clarity, it particularly activated my OCD because of how messy it was. Um, I have always had an existential angst. Even as a child, the theme of eternity, bigger concepts that children let alone adults don't really contemplate had always like haunted me and so um not having a proper context for my consciousness in this world created a lot of depression and isolation and alienation as many people who came into this reality already you know half awakened have experienced and so along my journey it's hard to even say when it genuinely began just because I already was on a journey before I was aware of it. But when it really started hitting the fan or, or becoming, I was becoming aware to it, it was um, probably somewhere in college. That's when I started getting into, let's call it the more darker elements of this reality. And so even though I have always had an affinity with spirituality, it wasn't where I started off. It wasn't where I went to first. I really was compelled into the fringe. 
I was very called into fringe topics, anything fringe, um, the darker elements of reality, anything that had to do with, um, you know, the matrix. That's what I call that level of reality. And so, yeah, that was essentially my college experience was half fringe and then half like learning things from the system. And so I really like to, I enjoy being a bridge and that comes through very clear inside my work is helping become that bridge of information based, you know, like, um, dare I even say partially academic almost. Mm-hmm. And then I combine that with my mysticism and what I had learned from the area from the era of my life when I was chest deep in mystery school teachings. And now I, I combine that just with my higher knowing. I operate now just from my claircognizance. And I use my past as a way to help people kind of understand these concepts more. So my path was very, you know, purposeful because it helped lead me into areas where now I can help create or articulate ways of combining or synthesizing things. So I like to think of myself not just as an alchemist, but as a synthesizer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it started off, I guess you could say, if I had to give it a linear timeline, probably like in college, when I was um, just, you know, pretty much horrified (laughs) Mm -hmm. at how truth is hidden in plain sight, literally just like in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. And I loved what you said about the spiritual awakening happening even before we're aware of the spiritual awakening, right? Totally. It happens in waves, way before we actually realize that we're going through a spiritual awakening and often oftentimes we go through like you said the really dark times so that you can expand and i love the fact that now you're actually teaching what you've learned what you've gone through and um what why why is it the alchemist it's the alchemist because well one as as i mentioned briefly my background is in esotericism And so it's funny to even think at one point that I was going to be like um, a film major. It was either that or anthropology. (laughs) So the fact that I came not, I I was never conventional, but I call it the alchemist because I'm essentially, I have my feet in many worlds and I'm holding space for many different worlds. And so the alchemist is the way to describe how my being is serving as a space holder and a conduit for many different group consciousness. I love that. Does he have anything to do with the book, The Alchemist? It has absolutely zero to do with the book. I get this question a few times a year and I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, that book didn't really even (laughs) register on my radar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose if people are looking for you, they might find the book, though, like on Google, right? Yeah, they're going to find it. And I'm and, you know, um, it was definitely a very um, poetic book in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's great. Thank you for sharing um, your journey so far. And um, let's see what theme we should start talking about. So I'll pick one. Oh, the fifth dimension. <laughs> so what is the fifth dimension? Um, I know you also have a video about the difference between density and dimensions as well. Um, yeah, something that I I talk about too a lot in Oh, I love it. Podcasts. So I'm sure the listeners probably know what it is, but um, Can you tell us your perspective of what you see as what is the the fifth dimension? Sure. I also want to start off by saying the fifth dimension community, which I guess that's what, you know, is a large part of your audience. This is where I would call home base for me. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) yeah. Um, And so 
as you had mentioned, when I'm talking uh, or about that video I made about the difference between dimensions and densities, it's funny because people who refer to these as dimensions don't really have an issue necessarily with learning that they're densities. But what I've noticed is that people are very staunch who come from it from the density perspective. I like to use them as an alchemist fluidly because I I I I see them, I recognize them as densities, but I have no issue if somebody is calling it by the name dimensions because dimensions is a very fluid name. It has a lot of different meanings. Um, and so I'm fine with that terminology. So that said, I'm going to be referring to the fifth density as the fifth dimension. And so the fifth dimension is where we start operating from unity consciousness. So how I look at it is that there's two different aspects to the fifth dimension when we talk about it in the spiritual community or in any type of spiritual context. And that is we are either referring to the state of the fifth dimension or we are talking about the fifth dimension in the state of consciousness. If we're just talking about the state of the fifth dimension in the terms consciousness, this is why it's so relevant to us right now. It's because we are um, what I like to call the tip of the spear or the first wave, however a person looks at it. The people, there's such an awakening because what that awakening means is, is that we're entering fifth dimensional consciousness. But when we start thinking that entering fifth dimensional consciousness is actually entering the fifth dimension, that's where there's a, that's where there's like a break in the system or that's where there's miscommunication mm -hmm. because the fifth dimension is one where form is so malleable and the experience of the fifth dimension is nowhere near what this experience of the third dimension is. The experience of the fifth dimension, there's not technology the way that we have technology. We don't even need technology the way that we have technology. Mm -hmm. um, we manifest instantly. There, it's, it's an entirely different curriculum. It's an entirely different density. <laughs> yeah. And so because of that, it's one of those things where fifth dimensional consciousness is going to be anchored and integrated and have its own journey to that dimension. So what I'm trying to say is, is that the fifth dimensional consciousness is a living, breathing reality, but then transferring that over to actually moving into that dimension, at least from how I see it, that's not going to necessarily be the journey that we're on. What's going to happen instead is, is that the fifth dimensional consciousness is going to be blended or alchemized rather with the third dimension. And when they're alchemized, meaning that they've integrated, then we're going to have still a physical experience, but that physicality is still not going to be as dense as it is now. So the fifth dimension will be blended almost with the third dimension, meaning that we're going to have technology, which is something the fifth dimension doesn't need. But that technology is going to be in harmony with Mother Earth, is going to be in resonance. It's not going to be anti-technology or things that are harming us and then availing themselves as being, oh, really beneficial. Um, so it's a state of consciousness where um, that the perception, the awareness, the consciousness that operates in the fifth dimension is actually operating in the third dimension, creating such a unity and blend within the physical and the non-physical. Yeah, beautiful. And do you think this blending is already happening? It's all? happening because of people like you and me. We're creating this timeline. The possibility wouldn't even occur if we weren't actually sending ripples into the space-time continuum and forming that timeline. Yeah, yeah. And I get this question a lot, like, can we can we live in 5D already? Um, what, do you, what do you think? What do you say to anyone who's thinking that? 
Yeah. I mean, the people who are anchoring in the fifth dimensional consciousness are already living there. When we want to see that reflected into the external as that fifth dimensional consciousness, the one where form is malleable, the one where we instantly manifest things, that's now at odds with objective reality here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if we're waiting to see the physical reality in front of us all of a sudden become non-physical or, or become more uh, malleable in the way that it's presented, that's a longer journey. And I'm not saying that that won't happen because we have a creative evolution. And because of that, nothing's set in stone. So the story might change. Right now, the story is, hey, let's all anchor in fifth dimensional consciousness. Once we start anchoring in this fifth dimensional consciousness, we start blending it with the third dimension. Yeah. From, from that step on, our creative evolution might choose to go, okay, now let's go in this direction. Okay, now let's go in that. So everything's on the table. But when it comes to wanting the fifth dimensional experience that's in that dimension, while we're in the third dimension, that's not the curriculum here. The curriculum here is, is that this desk is solid, is that I'm, you know, we can bring the consciousness though. So many of us are operating already in fifth dimensional consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, the, the challenge is in, in the shift, right? Cause we are going, we are in it. Like we are going through the evolutionary shift and then we're not quite there and we're not, you know, quite here. And so I guess it's like bringing that fifth dimensional consciousness while living a third dimensional in the third dimensional world. Um, it's not like trying to getting trying to get rid of the third dimensional level of consciousness, but actually embracing and embodying that fifth dimensional consciousness. And I think that's that's the hard I, for me. I think that's the challenge. You know, like bringing that awareness and knowing that you're going you're still going to be here right you're, we're not going anywhere at least not for now yeah totally but here's the thing when we have um so much of the experience uh experiencers rather operating at that level of consciousness then magic what we consider magic yeah would be everyday reality like um there's technology that would be able to clear the oceans of all the contaminations and toxins in one moment. But how would that even be able to occur if our vibration, if our consciousness now collectively mm -hmm. doesn't know how to take care of the ocean? Yeah, We have so many lessons and curriculum how to take care of the third dimension before we hop to the fifth dimension. And that's how we grow. That's how we become quote unquote, an adult yeah. or the fifth dimension. It's by, it's by honoring our curriculum in this dimension, because then if we could just clear the oceans like that, we would miss out on developing the consciousness that would require us to learn how to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And, and I guess, um, a lot of us, before even start thinking about clearing the ocean, we need to like clear our ourselves, right? Like clear our own vibration and take care of this this mini universe, right? This ocean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, love it. Let's take another um, theme from this homemade tarot card. Okay, how your soul contracts affect you. So let's talk a little bit about soul contracts. What is a soul contract? So our experience is made up of like a 50-50 type deal. 50% free will, 50% predetermined or faded. Soul contracts deal with what was faded faded experiences that we came into this reality already with them lined up now how they would play out is still a part of the 50 percent that is our free will but the only thing that is certain is 
the the lessons or the contracts we make with certain individuals or certain experiences to have because that keeps us kind of like i guess you could say on track for what we had come into this reality to experience mm -hmm. so a soul contract would be when we make and this could even be with non-physical entities but a soul contract is when we make an agreement to play out a certain lesson or experience. So for instance, a really good example of a soul contract would be if two people make a contract to be like, I will help mirror to you your power because whatever the person was experiencing prior to the journey that they might have needed to, or that they were going to experience Let's say that they want to get to a point where now they have some form of ignition or activation to help for, for them, to, for their next leg of their journey, for them to understand their power. And then who knows what field of possibilities open up from that point on. Mm -hmm. So they come at pivotal choice points, um, mainly some are just, you know, like soul contracts to be like your mom or dad, but um, and so in this case, in the example I'm using, the soul contract would be for these two people to perhaps mirror to each other their power and then by or one person and then the other to learn from. But either way, like this is a great example of a soul contract that is used that there was an agreement in some sort for them to learn some sort of lessons. We typically think of soul contracts in a more um not that we think of contracts as negative but we think of them more like the harsh lessons in life mm -hmm. and that's absolutely true but there's also a lot of beauty in them as well because we do get we we do need help along our journey and that's where soul contracts come in to say hey you'll benefit me in this way and I'll benefit you in this way yeah and is there some kind of um fulfillment of the contract in a way like we have a soul contract and maybe in this lifetime we didn't fulfill the assignment is there anything like that like we we have different chances to yeah the assignment that's the beauty that karma is made out of not fulfilling an assignment <laughs> yeah which coincides with the 50% realm of um, free will that I was talking about. We have the free will to not, to not understand the assignment. Yeah. <laughs> or to yeah. finish the assignment. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and how we can tell that, is that what you asked? What, how we tell a soul contract is complete or. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that, that can be a, a, a follow-up question. Like can, how can we tell that we, we have actually fulfilled a soul contract in this lifetime? Cause that's what we, we are living now. That's what we perceive. So there's a sense of, um, there's no more. So we attract and repel. Now, there's a repulsion. There's either a repulsion or there's no more attraction. Mm -hmm. But anytime there's a soul contract, there inevitably has to be attraction. So when that attraction has been lost, that's when the soul contract is complete. Um, one could even go as far as to say that the only time a soul contract is complete is when there's no attraction and there's no repulsion. Because to be an attraction or repulsion is to be in karma in some way. And regardless, there will be a karmic pool. I think that that's not necessarily true, although I do half agree with that. Um, and no one's even said that. This is just me arguing with myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> <As you> <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's how I teach. I, I argue with myself and then that comes up with the synthesis to teach. So... So there's that, but then also a repulsion is necessary because sometimes that's a part of the soul contract that you can't help is the fact that the lesson was learned and it didn't leave a good taste in the mouth. Mm -hmm. And it's okay that there's a repulsion. That doesn't mean that there's still some sort of contract or karmic pull. That just means that you learned what you needed to and now you don't want to go in that direction anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I guess also every every soul has a unique journey, right? And you are one in your journey, and perhaps the other person has chosen to take, you know, has chosen to take another route that's maybe longer, right? Yeah. Great. Um, another topic. Let's see. Stages of spiritual awakening. The second phase of ascension. We touched a little bit about uh, on the spiritual awakening in the beginning. Um, but what are the stages of spiritual awakening? So I was made aware after that video that Dolores Cannon has stages of awakening that are essentially the opposite of what I said. I love her work, by the way. It has made people such a vibrational match to my work. It's like she's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, thanks, Dolores Cannon. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I understand that there's different ways of categorizing or organizing that content. How it came to me, though, was that as the tip of the spear, how I mentioned earlier, that's how I see the first wave rather than who was here the longest or who set up camp grounds, what have you. Um, and so the second phase of, or second wave um, of ascension is how I see the people who are going through the really darkest elements of awakening. And the third wave is the ones who haven't come to terms with the darkest level of awakening, but are getting their feet wet. Mm -hmm. And that's because, as you may already know, I'm sure you know, um, consciousness happens in waves. It would even actually miss the whole point of the journey for everyone to be at the same level at once. So when we get to the third dimension, there becomes a necessity to organize things or to have, you know, like one, two, three and stuff. And, I, you know, maybe at the fifth or sixth or seventh, there's no need for that. But here there's very much an order or systematic. Yeah. And so um, the second wave of ascension are the ones who are chest deep in like, like, is the earth round or flat or could you believe that our government's doing this or, you know, our, Oh, the best example I could give out of all of the examples would to be learning about our monetary system and how our, the central banks essentially have humanity in a state of slavery through the debt system. So all of these are really strong themes that happen in the second wave of Ascension. That doesn't mean, of course, I'm aware by the way, that, just because a person hasn't had that phase yet, they might be in a higher phase or a lower phase. Like I know that these things, when it comes to our own personal journey, get mis mix matched, you know, like it's not like people go through this perfectly like, oh, and yeah. then you come to this. Not so linear. Exactly. I like to use the example, even though I don't play the game of Candyland, that's the one that I receive from my guides um it, it's like um not all of us start off in the same start position some of us start off over here and some of us start off over here so we're all dumped in different areas and then from there we either grow into other areas or we just stay within whatever region we first landed in but yeah um how i still see that though is is that the second wave of ascension is definitely the warrior stage Mm -hmm. The one where we're focused a lot on the external. I would even go as far as to say we're almost fully focused on the darker elements that are controlling this reality that are external. And then once we go into the first wave of ascension, that's when we're becoming initiated into the internal reality. Right. You talk about the dark night of the soul uh, in one of your videos too. Would you say that that would be more like the first wave um, or before that second wave, uh, 
which I know that's not very linear, right. but just so that our mind understands, um, totally. what would you say? It, the dark night of the soul goes on through all of them because any time we're going through an up leveling, a dark night of the soul comes in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I love that. It all. The, the trap that I would say happens in the second wave of ascension is when they think that the dark nights of the soul have ended. Yeah. The first wave of ascension goes, yeah, there's always going to be a dark night of the soul, but it, we're going to get better at how we deal with it, with what yeah. when it comes into the picture, what it has to teach us. Yeah, I love that because... I see it as a cycle, right? It's the awakening, the healing, and then you expand your consciousness. But the next round that you go through your dark knot of the soul, you have you have uh, healing tools in your kit. Like you're, you've done it before. It's not necessarily going to be less painful, but you just have um, better awareness. You have an expanded awareness, literally, right? Totally. Beautiful. Just one more theme. The purpose of twin flames, which maybe it's a little bit related to the soul contract or not. Yeah, it's like a mega dosing <laughs> soul contract. Um, that's my most popular video. Yeah, I I I, I think people really like that, <laughs> the, the twin flame. Uh, I've been asked to do a second one. I definitely will sometime. Um, but yeah, that uh, uh, twin flame, I don't even know if I would call it a contract. Um, it's more like, yeah, a hero's journey over lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Because the twin flame doesn't come into the equation until a person has reached a certain level of consciousness. And so, and that doesn't even mean to mean both of the twin flames. Mm -hmm. um, I came into this journey with an esoteric background. Everything is about the inner world. So I, I came into this journey first only with the mentality and the perception of there being an inner twin flame because everything's inner when it comes yeah. to mysticism. Um, I mean, if you could just eat innerly, mystics would. <laughs> and so it was only through my own personal journey of having clients and then, you know, experiencing more things that then I had shifted my worldview. And I, I was actually tuning into the fact that there's such a, like a real, not just an internal, like an external twin flame experience happening not for everyone but that the twin flame journey is actually very real and valid and super intense and so um there's so much to say on that but yeah it's something that happens over lifetimes so it's like this lifetime would be one of a very powerful union of that one person's soul core frequency and by doing so that absolutely impacts the frequency of earth Mm -hmm. what is the difference between a soulmate and a twin flame so soulmates to me and i know that this has the potential to be twisted into like a toxic perception but at a certain point in awakening you see a soulmate in everyone everyone becomes your soulmate so if life puts you in front of a liquor store where you need to go get gas and the person in front of you in line is the person in front of you. That's your soul. Whoever's in front of you is your soulmate. And I understand that that can completely sound toxic. If somebody's being harmed by somebody, you know, has a toxic family situation or just, you know, coworkers, whatever it is. Um, so my rule of thumb is if you, if <laughs> If you're in an unpleasant or detrimental, ex detriment, detrimental experience to yourself, there's no absolute way that, that you can be in harmony 
or be healthy internally by viewing that person as a soulmate, don't do it. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. This comes naturally as a byproduct. It's not a goal somebody should reach in awakening. It's a byproduct. It just happens on its own. When we force these concepts and try to mold them into our state of consciousness, now we are forcing. That's not going to do anything but create more um, gaps between ourselves. But naturally, what ends up happening is the more we awaken, we see everything as a soulmate. And with twin flames, twin flames are like a soulmate on steroids. <laughs> a twin flame is literally the physical embodiment of your soul core frequency in another person. So with them, it's like not just understanding that we are all one in the experience. It's seeing the perception that we have of us seeing no difference in that other person. So it's almost like, oh, wow, I'm you experiencing the oneness as well. So yeah. it, it's a very intense connection. It's there. It's that's why they call it a, a twin flame journey. It's like this needs its own name. It needs its own billboard in order to put into words the intensity and magnitude of experiencing your perception of experiencing your being and soul in another person. Because it's one thing to just say, yeah, we're all soulmates and then have good experiences with our soulmates or have not so pleasant experiences with our soulmates and know that whether we had great soulmates that came along or soulmates that broke us into a million pieces, that they're at the end of the day, our soulmates. And it's another thing entirely. It's another thing all completely to go, oh, wow, like, you are me yeah in a physical body that is not me yeah intense very intense <laughs> and it, is it is it intense because also the other person in a way mirrors back to you you know parts of yourself that perhaps you don't want to see or even parts of yourself that needs more healing yeah, it's intense for all of those reasons. It's in the the most intense part of the twin flame interaction journey is the mirroring. Mm -hmm. And how can how can one tell if they are in a relationship with their twin flame? So this is from personal experience, because like I said, I came into this journey not believing in it. And then I've had enough clients. I've had enough personal experiences. I've had enough everything just with um you know, it's hard when you're in the spiritual community to avoid knowing or learning about the twin flame experience. Um, and so from that, the the best advice I could give to if you are in a twin flame experience is two things. One is like, you do not have to guess. There is no, I think there is an overwhelming, intense, probably even repulsion to just how scary it is that this is now a reality that you have entered. <laughs> it's like, I mean, maybe for some people it might be really exciting, but other people, they're like, wait, what? I'm a part of a twin flame journey now? Like it's, in it's so intense that they cannot even deny it, that there is something extremely bizarre with this connection specifically that's going on that is not experienced in any of the other connections. So it's one of those things that has a stunning clarity to it, even though what that means, the implications of it can be overwhelming. And then the second way is, is that um, the person, how do I say this? The person has a very large soul purpose here. It's not like you're going to have a twin flame or you're going to be a twin flame and go on with your life like it was just an ultra marriage. It's not even about that. It's if you feel compelled 
if you feel called for some higher calling that you need to serve or fulfill, and if that person too. So that's a way. So if a person is very drawn to somebody and they think that they might be their twin flame and they're feeling a really strong connection or pull, but they're not sure, the second thing you can always fall back on is, is that person or yourself want having really high hopes or a, a very large calling that includes the collective? It doesn't even need you like it doesn't mean we become Martin Luther King Jr. It just means like, do you care about humanity and do you want to do something about it? You don't even need to know what you have to do about it. But if you don't feel called to some higher or larger service service to humanity, then that is not a twin flame connection. Beautiful. I'm sure people will have more questions uh, about it. Um, hence, your video is one of the most popular ones. It's um, it's a great theme, but um, we can get a little lost in um, the terminology and definitions. Can we do one more? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. The fourth dimension. We talked about the fifth dimension. And what about the fourth, the 4D? <laughs> A lot of people say we just just we just skip the 4D. <laughs> the funny part is so much so many of us are already in 4D. Yeah. <laughs> um I would even say like the collectives in 4D already. But yeah, so um the fourth dimension is super polarizing. That's why. Okay, so the four, so the reason why we really care about the fifth dimension and we don't care at all about the fourth dimension is because the fourth dimension is the womb that the third dimension is contained in. And so the fourth dimension is towards ability. Their abilities are far wider than the third dimension. But the mentality isn't. So imagine if you have an adult and a child. The adult's abilities, well, not unless they're a crystal baby, but just bear with me. <laughs> the adult's mental abilities is like, it would look like you're a god compared to a child, you know? Like an adult can look up at the sky and kind of tell that it might start raining. And so you can tell you can fool a child if you have knowledge or an intellect or ability that is simple to you but that is really you know magical or, or quite compelling to a child because then you could go i'm gonna make it rain in three to you know you could time the whole thing in a way that to the child makes it look like oh my god like what do i do i i'm you know like you are a higher power mm -hmm. so that's kind of how the fourth dimension has the relationship to the third dimension they have to us beyond stunning capabilities but they're still a part of um the consciousness of polarity is what i would call it they still have duality they're playing out all of those different themes so they have more abilities more capabilities more um in a lot of ways um freedom because the higher your awareness comes, the more free will, or um, not the higher your awareness comes, the more free will, the higher your awareness comes, the more freedom you have to use to abuse power or to, to utilize power. And so because of that, they're quite impressive. But at the same time, they're still operating not from unity consciousness. Yeah. Uh, so if they're a god, they they believe it. They're, they're the almighty, they're whatever it is, like they're, once you get to unity consciousness, which is the fifth dimension and beyond, you start understanding that although you're one unit, one perception entity, identity, that it, it would be really silly to at the end of the day, think that you are more powerful than another being. Yeah. You can be all powerful because you can own all of your power. But even if you are utterly powerful, even if you are, uh, you know, like you at the end of the day, know that the other expression of consciousness 
is still just has the same potential, even if they're not utilizing it the way that you are. Yeah. And as you speak, I can't help but think of Christ consciousness. Exactly. It's like the perfect example, like Christ consciousness is the 5D oneness unity. Yet we in 3D like worship the you know the message the the person even mm-hmm. um and it we're not quite there um well some of us are in the sense that we we got the message like we are we are god like he wasn't saying that he is the almighty god yeah he was saying we we are all god yeah and there's a huge difference between admiration and worship because a correct being, someone might look at me, I get praise all the time, and I could tell if it turns into worship, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can admire me all you want, all day long. I'll take that. But once it turns into worship, no, 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 no. So that type of distinction between admiration and worship is super important and a responsible consciousness or one, you know, sovereign is what I call it other than responsible, a sovereign consciousness that's operating at the fifth dimensional consciousness and above will always make that distinction. They'll be like, sure, I'm a powerful being. You can admire me all you want, but just so you know, I am you and you have this, you, you are that you have that potential and capability as well. Yeah, and I guess it's in it's in the fourth dimension that we're still perhaps worshiping the gods and giving our power away, right, to entities, and and that's not the the sovereignty that you just mentioned, which I think it's one of the the the, the lessons that we're here to learn as well to get to that five D. Can you expand a little bit on the spiritual sovereignty? theme when i'm making connections to speak about something i find it very important to use different words the reason why is not only to make those connections so that people are understanding that there's these different ways of expressing the same thing but it's also to get a person's mentality unstuck from the paradigm that they're viewing it in because we can become stuck in a paradigm even about anything, even the concept of enlightenment. And no matter what concept we get stuck in, we're going to accidentally start creating a certain version of it that is not being able to experience it directly. When we experience something directly, that's called gnosis. So when we talk about terms I tried to use sovereignty to replace the term enlightenment. I use sovereignty to replace the term for a lot of different concepts so that we can become unstuck from the paradigm where we only see things from a very like um, habitual way. We have a habitual way of viewing something and that, that takes away a lot of the direct experience. Mm-hmm. So I call sovereignty, I use the word sovereignty for anything because I use the word sovereignty for enlightenment and for um, dharma. A person who's in their dharma or person operating from dharma is a person operating from um, their sovereignty. So sovereignty to me is that space where you're having direct experience And you're no longer in the paradigms where you're the the mind thinking the concept. Sovereignty is the person who can question things. Yeah. So, So it's the unprogrammed mind. When you go to a mystery school or when you learn about mysticism or esoteric concepts, the responsible, let's call it groups of thought, or schools of thought will always deprogram you. They're going to teach you whatever needs to be unprogrammed from your being. From there, they're not going to tell you how to be. 
that is direct experience. It's kind of like once you take the tricycle wheels off, you mm. needed the tricycle wheels, you needed the support. Once you got the equilibrium to be on the bicycle, the tricycle wheels come off now. No one's telling you how to ride the bike. You went through the growing pains of learning how to leverage more to the left. Okay, no, now coordinate more to the right. Okay. And that was the support that the tricycle wheels provided. And now you think for yourself. Yeah, perfect analogy. Yeah, and I think it's super important too when we're talking about that 5D level or state of consciousness because um, a lot of people think that 5D is about oneness and love and unity consciousness, and it is, but it's it's the unconditional love plus the sovereignty, right? Because otherwise we might just... Yeah think that yeah i i love everybody but i'm you know they're taking advantage of me or whatever it is i think the spiritual sovereignty is such a, an important element to the equation a hundred percent because without the sovereignty everything else just becomes another paradigm that the mind is experiencing yeah love it Love it. I have some final fun and deep questions. I call them fun and deep. So cool. you can answer whatever comes to your mind. And we'll just have a little fun. <laughs> um, so what is uh, your definition of alchemy? My definition of alchemy is to materialize spirit and to spiritualize matter. So materializing the spiritual and spiritualizing the matter is what alchemy is at the end of the day, which is an, another way of just saying embodying our higher self or our multidimensional consciousness. So we are all alchemists in a yep. way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, if if you're listening to this podcast, yes. And anyone who's awakening, because we become the alchemist. By awakening, you become the alchemist. Yeah. But well, I just got the name. <laughs> <laughs> Did you trademark it? <laughs> Somebody told me that, and I'm like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> it's such a 3D thing, right? <laughs> All right. Um, Sarah, what brings you joy in your life? My YouTube channel the biggest joy is when you see those episodes of me outside and I'm like, eh, da, 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 eh, da, da. like it's because I'm thinking of that. I'm, ch I'm channeling on the spot. So he, I don't even know what I'm going to say. So when you see that energy running through me where like, I can't stop smiling and I accidentally talk too loud. That's just because I I'm, I'm so joyful that I'm living my life's purpose. And that's just me being Sarah. I got to be Sarah. I know that's how I want everyone to feel. I want everyone to feel like you got to be Joe. You got, I want everyone to live their purpose because to me, it feels so good. I have so much joy, you know, like I would do it. It doesn't pay well, as you might know, have a good channel. Like it's not for that. Like I, I would do it if I got like, like not one red cent because of how much joy it brings me to be living my purpose. Yeah. And it comes across and your authenticity comes across too. And I think you, by being you also in a way gives us the permission and the motivation to also be our most authentic and follow our joy. And yeah, um, yeah for anybody listening or watching, we talked about some of the themes that you talk about in your YouTube channel. So in, in case you want to learn more in depth, please check it out. And I'll put the links in the description of your website and the YouTube channel and all of that. Um, next question is a hypothetical question. Imagine that all the books in the world were going to be destroyed and deleted forever. If you had to save only one book, which book would you save and why? This is like the best question anyone has ever asked 
ever. <laughs> it's difficult too. <laughs> okay. Maybe not. <laughs> I'm going to be responsible and I'm going to go for a book that will help people's consciousness. Okay. Michael Talbot's the holographic universe. And the reason why is because fundamentally, if we are left at square one, when it comes to the knowledge in written form had disappeared, then we need to start from square one. And to properly start anywhere, even like if you need to know the alphabet, it does, you know, like the most fundamental thing that we need to relearn and un like unlearn whatever we think about reality is is that we are in um we are not we are in we are having a holographic experience because once we understand that the ins and outs of what that means that will be the proper foundation that will be the correct foundation to build upon we're building upon a lot of different things and in order for the branches of the tree to grow healthy and in order for the you know all of the different symptoms we see in the world to re shift their symptomatic expression we would need to first understand what the roots look like and so understanding the holographic nature of reality um is understanding the law of correspondence the fractal nature of as above so below mm -hmm. and so um, is that a book that I would reread? No, but that would be what I think humanity absolutely needs first. Awesome. Can you repeat the name, please? Yeah, it's The Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot. Beautiful. I'll have a look because I, I haven't read that, but sounds really amazing. Um, what What is the one thing that people would be surprised to know about you? I'm a huge, like huge Fiona Apple fan. Awesome. I like sad music. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. like sad music too. <laughs> okay, yeah. Oh yeah, Morrissey. Do you like Morrissey? Uh I don't think I know many songs, but yeah, I like, you know, the the sad songs too. Um all the spectrum of the emotions, I guess. <laughs> the joyful ones to the happy ones um and uh the next one is also um maybe hypothetical maybe not because we talked about soul contracts um so let's suppose that we sign we sign a contract before coming to this life and then we ch we choose what we came here to learn as well as to teach so what do you think for you would be in this lifetime, what do you think that would be for you? What you came here to learn and to teach? That's a really good question because what I need to learn is not what I dominantly teach. What, what I came here to learn would be like how to let go. Mm. Like how to not just like let go. I don't even like when people use that word because I think they oversimplify it. But I mean, like, how to accept that has been a constant theme. Yeah, I think how to accept. Because the reason why is like, even when I was in film school, for instance, or taking, you know, film classes, I would always be like, no, the scene needs to go like this. And I would be, if we didn't have the proper props, if we didn't have the proper whatever it be, I was very rigid. And throughout my life, whether it was something as physical as that, or if it's something, you know, more spiritual, or if it's whatever it is, a constant theme has been like going with the flow, learning to accept, and then having that be a co-creation, not where I'm controlling it, not where I'm, you know, the one that's in control, that's saying that it has to be exactly this way. So learning to accept in order to understand that it's a co-creation and that it's not all mine. That would be what I definitely have learned. Maybe and that's why I had the idea of bringing the, the topics randomly with no script. 
That's why I love that you did that because if anything, that's just such like in tuned and flow. And so being in that moment and not trying to control the host. Yeah. I really dig how you did this. And so, and then what I teach is discernment. I teach a lot of things, but at the end of the day, what I'm committing my career to is discernment because that's where humanity needs the most development in my perception. Yeah, definitely so much needed. Um, the last question is called three truths. Uh, it's also a hypothetical um, question that I got from Lewis. How is it? I didn't come up with it, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it works. It goes like this. Um, imagine that in many years from now, um, you are about to make the transition from the physical realm into the spiritual realm. And everything that you've created, all of your videos, all of your books, workshops, everything you've done will be deleted. And you have a piece of paper and a pen and you can write three truths. And this is gonna live on. This is going to be quote unquote, your legacy that you will leave. What would be your three truths? So I can't put in them, watch this video. <laughs> um, no, you couldn't because that's going to be deleted. <laughs> okay. This is a very good question. Okay. So the first truth is, is that the more technology we have isn't a sign of development. It's not a sign of how conscious a, a it doesn't reflect how conscious the people are. So they, we need to stop associating technology and AI and all of those themes with being what evolution is. Mm -hmm. Is that two truths or what? <laughs> I would say that's, that's one. Yeah. Okay. The second truth would be that you never stop learning discernment ever even if you avail yourself like i do as a master of discernment you're still learning discernment every day what you're doing is applying the clarity the tools and the um the yeah the clarity and the tools that you have priorly but discernment is a journey that never ends mm-hmm and the third truth would be that the heart is the generator of the experience. We have a lot of emphasis on the mind. We have a lot of emphasis on thoughts. That's all fine. But the even the pineal gland is like put on a pedestal. The real generator of the experience is living and being in your heart space. And no intelligence can thrive or evolve until we learn that basic truth. So make that the first truth. <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful. Yes, 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 yes. To all of, all of the three ones, especially the hard two. I think it's super important. That it's, it's, our hearts is really our multidimensional tool. And the it's not the most intelligent, but the, you know, we, like you said, we, We've been programmed to use our minds, our you know, more than our heart's intelligence. So yeah, it's beautiful. Um, how can people work with you? Tell us a little bit about how can how they can find you and and what is um, what is your sessions like too. Yeah, so you can find me on my YouTube channel. That is my passion project. So that um, I don't think I have a customized URL for that. So if you just type in the alchemist, I'll pop up somewhere on that algorithm. Um, for the other social media platform at the moment that I'm on, my biggest following is on Instagram at the.alchemist. If you go, if you type in anything other than the dot alchemist you will find all of my imposter accounts so yeah. Yeah. there's quite several of them i hear so um 
yeah, just the dot alchemist. And then if you would like to work with me personally, I highly suggest you sign up for my newsletter because I'm going to be releasing some upcoming in-person events and also um, my alchemy retreat. And then if you would like one-on-one healing session with me, you can go to my website, alchemicalenergyhealing.com. That's where I have my clients and I do my um, one-on-one sessions. It's there's limited availability for that just because I, you know, I have so many other projects going, but yeah, that's absolutely um, uh, the most direct way to connect with me. Great. And I'll put all the links in the description. So anybody watching or listening can go to the caption to the description and find the links. Sarah, I want to acknowledge you for spreading your knowledge, your wisdom, and for helping humanity through this evolutionary shifts. And thank you so much for shining your light. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for shining your light and everything you're doing to raise the consciousness of humanity as well. Thank you so much. Much love. Much love. Thanks so much for watching or listening to this episode. If you would like to learn more about Sarah's work, visit her website www.alchemicalenergyhealing.com or www.thealchemist.community also follow her on instagram at the.alchemist and also on youtube as usual you'll find all the links in the description and once again if this has brought you value please subscribe to my channel and share this with your friends who might benefit from this episode as well as usual keep shining your light keep your heart open and let love lead the way i love you see you in the next episode